Thanks for checking out this week's sermon from Bonavista Baptist Church. We invite, encourage, and equip you to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Well, the followers of Jesus always had lots of questions for him. One time they asked him, who is the greatest among us? Another time they said, when will the end of the world come? Probably my favorite and and most inappropriate question they asked Jesus was, should we call down fire from heaven to consume this village as if they could? I wonder if Jesus was sometimes left scratching his head and wondering, when will these guys ever ask the right question? Well, in the passage we read today, the disciples finally get around to asking a great question. They come to Jesus and say, will you teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples to pray? They had a very specific prayer in mind. It wasn't just prayer in general, but they wanted Jesus, their rabbi, to teach them a kind of signature prayer, a prayer that would be for them, that would identify them, and that would help them to complete their daily prayer routine. Rabbis often did this with students, and you could tell who the student was and who the rabbi was by the prayer that they would say. So Jesus gives them a signature prayer. Now, in Matthew's gospel, the prayer is a little bit longer, and that's the one that we take and use as the Lord's Prayer today, even though it's really the the disciples' prayer. But in Luke's gospel, it's pared down just to the bare bones. Jesus starts by saying, call God Father. That's an incredible thing. It's one of the beautiful things that Jesus gives to us. He reveals God as our Father. But then he goes on to say, appeal to God as your father and appeal to him by the honor of his character. That's what it's meant by hallowed be your name. That's the honor of God's character. The rest of the prayer, even though it's short, it covers all of life. It covers our present need. We pray for our daily bread. It covers our past mistakes and failures. Forgive us our sins. And it covers our future trials. That's what the word temptation means. It refers to the testing or challenging situations that we're about to face. So present, the past, the future is all covered through this very simple, short petition, the signature prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples that would identify them as followers of this particular rabbi. But after Jesus gives the prayer, he gives them a kind of bonus round. He tells them a parable, a powerful story that is meant to encourage them to pray, not just to pray the signature prayer, but to pray at all times and to pray without stopping. He he wants to encourage them to access God through prayer whenever they can. And he does it by telling about a man who goes knocking on his friend's door at midnight. The parable begins with a hypothetical situation. Jesus says, suppose you had a friend. What he's really saying is, can you imagine if this happened? Can you imagine that you asked a friend for bread and he was reluctant to give it to you? That would never happen. It especially wouldn't happen within the culture of the time of Jesus. In order to understand that a little better, let's spend some time just 
digging into the setting and understanding the culture that's at play in this passage. Well, the Palestinian house, the simple house that this person would have gone to to ask for the loaves of bread, would have been a very small structure, basically a one-room house. And in this one room, there would have been an elevated platform for the family to sleep on at night, and the whole family would sleep on that platform. And if the family had some livestock, a goat and some chickens or whatever it was, they would bring the livestock in at night. And then once everybody was settled, they would close the door to provide a little bit of safety and protection and just keep everybody in the house. So can you imagine if at midnight, after you've rounded up the goats and the chickens and the kids and everybody else, and you're sound asleep, everything's peaceful, when all of a sudden someone comes calling your name and then knocking on your door, asking for a favor. It wouldn't be just you that would have to get up. It would be the whole household. So you can see this would be a major inconvenience. So what in the end would motivate this man to help? Well, in order to understand that, we need to dig into the laws of hospitality and honor that are at work in this passage. And that's really going to help us to unlock the key to prayer that Jesus is pointing to. There are three principles that we need to note. First of all, the host in this culture must serve his guest and the guest must eat. Doesn't matter what time the guest arrived, even if it's midnight, we'd be tempted to say, well, you're probably tired, go to bed and we'll feed you in the morning. But no, that's not the law that's happening here. The law of hospitality says if the guest shows up, the host must provide a meal and the guest must eat. And so that's why this man has to go to his friend's house to ask for bread, which is the first most basic part of the meal. Bread is really not the meal itself. It's kind of like the utensils of the meal. The second principle that we look at is that the guest is the guest of the community not just of the individual. So this person showing up at night isn't just the responsibility of the individual in that house. This person is really the responsibility of the whole community. And so a man would go around and ask several of his neighbors for different parts of the meal because it was the responsibility of the whole community to show hospitality. Well, that leads us to the third principle, And the third principle is this, the neighbor, the first neighbor would get up and grant the request in order to avoid shame. If he didn't get up and give those three loaves of bread, he knew that he couldn't show his face in the neighborhood the very next day because there was this understanding of honor and hospitality that's at play in the passage. Well, Kenneth Bailey, who taught for many years in Lebanon and in the Middle East, he says this. When you go to this kind of neighbor, everything is against you. It's night. He's asleep in bed. The door is locked. His children are asleep. He does not even like you. And yet you will receive more than you ask. This is because your neighbor is a man of integrity and he will not violate that quality. Now here's the point. The God to whom you pray also has an integrity that he will not violate. And beyond this, he actually loves you. 
The power of the parable really comes to light when we start to understand some of the cultural background. But it's also really important to see the contrast that Jesus is setting up in the parable. He's saying God, in fact, is not a reluctant giver like the man in the story. The contrast is between God and this man. The lesson of the parable is not that we need to keep knocking on God's door until he finally gives in and gives us what we want. That's not the lesson here. The lesson is basically like this, as William Barclay sums it up. If an unwilling householder can, in the end, be coerced by his friend's shameless persistence into giving him what he needs, how much more will God, who is our loving Father, supply all of his children's needs? How much more will God supply all of our needs because he is a loving Father? So Jesus says, Seek, ask, even knock, because God is good and honorable, and he is our Father, and he wants to give good gifts to his children. So what does that mean for us? Does it mean that we get to ask anything from God and expect him to deliver it? Does it mean we have to name it and claim it or draw circles around things and whatever we circle God has to give us? Well, as a good father, God knows what his children need. And I think as many of us learned in Sunday school, God always answers prayer. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes no, and sometimes wait. And I think that's a good principle to keep in mind when we approach parables like this. But there's something bigger happening in the passage. And we might even miss it if we gloss over the very end of the passage that we read together. Let me, me remind you of it. It says this, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So there's a very specific gift that Jesus has in mind that he wants his disciples to keep on asking the Father for. It's the Holy Spirit. Now, there's a big picture going on here. The Holy Spirit was promised back in the prophet Joel that one day God would pour his Spirit on all people. And Jesus, after his resurrection, encouraged the disciples to go and wait for the promise of the Spirit. And that promise is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit is poured out on those who were waiting and praying together. As they were asking for the Spirit, God fulfilled His promise and poured out the Spirit. God fulfilled His promise because He's honorable and because He's a good Father and because He promised His Holy Spirit to those who ask. But there's also a personal level at play here. The Holy Spirit really speaks of God's personal presence and power in our lives. The kind of presence that we need to overcome the challenges that we face. Jesus says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's the promise and the power of the Holy Spirit within us. And so in our prayer, let's ask for our everyday needs. Let's ask with confidence for forgiveness. Let's ask for strength for the trials that are yet to come. 
knowing that God is a good father and he's not reluctant to give good gifts to his children. But here's the final point. Don't just ask for the gifts. Long instead to know the giver of the gifts and to know his presence in our lives.